0: Hello, welcome back to the podcast. So this week, I am particularly excited about because I have a guest, Dr. Don Higgins, who is a licensed clinical social worker. I'll introduce her in just a moment so you can learn more about her background. But before we dive into that, I just wanna tell you a little bit about what we discussed. A few things that I think were really important are the differences between therapy and coaching and the similarities between these. We do this through the lens of looking at if we had the same client, how she would address it from a therapeutic stance and how I would address it from a coaching stance. And hopefully that'll help you understand the differences, but also some overlap that we may have. We also look at this concept of spiraling up and spiraling down when it comes to trauma, identifying what trauma is and how to know if you've experienced it. Dr. Higgins also covers the three ways of knowing if you would benefit from therapy and also how to overcome that idea of, oh my gosh, I don't know if I want to begin therapy because I have to tell my whole story. So that resistance that you might have when it comes to therapy, she covers and gives some ideas when it comes to that. So Dr. Don Higgins received her MSW and PhD from the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., for the past 20 years as a licensed clinical social worker, she has specialized in the area of trauma, grief, and loss and traumatic brain injury. In 2004, Dr. Higgins developed a model of psychotherapy for individuals living with a traumatic brain injury, also known as TBI. For her dissertation study, Dr. Higgins interviewed the young adults who were adolescents when their parents died in the tragedy of 9-11. She explored how losing a parent in a national tragedy shapes an adolescent's worldview. And she discusses this in the first part of our conversation where we address this idea of spiraling up, spiraling down, and post-traumatic growth. Currently, Dr. Higgins is an assistant professor and MSW program director at Eastern Kentucky University. Dr. Higgins has a small private practice in Old Town, Alexandria, Virginia. So without further ado, I hope that you find some value in this conversation. And again, I'm so grateful that Dr. Higgins joined us. Enjoy. You're listening to the Be Well, Be Wild podcast. I'm Jenny Wolf, and with over 13 years of coaching experience, I know a thing or two about transforming the way you live, love, and lead. If you're looking to wildly upgrade your life, relationships, productivity, mental, physical, spiritual well being, then you're in the right place. My goal on this podcast is to show you how to authentically leverage greater well being, connection, and leadership to create true joy and lasting success at home and work. Leave it to me to provide you with the tools, skills, and mindset shifts required to say bye to the status quo life and hello to being well and wildly successful. Welcome, Dr. Don Higgins. So glad to have you. Well, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here today. Awesome. So let's jump in. The dissertation, when you are getting your PhD, your dissertation was on the children of 9-11, and you shared some fascinating stuff from this. Would you share um, what you found during, during this time that you were doing your dissertation?
1: Sure. So I had been working in grief and loss as a therapist when I was pursuing my PhD in social work. And so I wanted to study the children who had lost a parent um, on 9-11. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to explore how losing a parent in a national tragedy shaped their worldview. You know, I think a lot of times what we do in this kind of research is look at the pathology of things. And I wanted to see really kind of even what the strength maybe came out of that. And so I grounded it in a theory called post-traumatic growth. Um, it's a theory that was developed by a researcher and an academic in California, Dr. Robert Niemeyer. And basically what it says is that when you experience a severe life condition, you either spiral up or spiral down in your level of thinking. And levels of thinking are really based in your values. And so I wanted to see um, in these different areas of these individual lives um, how their life changed, how their worldview changed. And so what I found was that these were young adults that I was interviewing when their parents died when they were teenagers in the World Trade Center in the Pentagon and also on the plane. Um, and, you know, they, what I found in the, in, across the board for them in their career choices, their romantic relationships, their relationship with families, they had more of a communitarian uh, paradigm, a worldview, where they wanted to give back to their community. Um, a good example of that would be I had one young girl who was attending an Ivy League school and she wanted to be a teacher, and her professor said, that's a waste. You are getting an Ivy League education. You're going to be a teacher. And she was outraged by that. Um, so they, they wanted to do, really give back, where sometimes that age group tends to want to be successful, even monetarily. Um, so they were just amazing young people.
0: Um, it was an amazing experience. And so those were my findings. That's really fascinating. I love the term spiraling up and spiraling down because I think it's always used, you know, you hear people use it when they're like, oh, you know, something negative will happen and then they're like, and then I spiral. And so it's like automatically thought that you're spiraling down. So I love this thought of like, what would it be like to spiral up? Um, And so how would you, you know, define that? Like, Or how would we know that we're spiraling up versus spiraling down? Their values change or what is important to us changes. Um, so an example of spiraling
1: down is when someone does experience something very traumatic and can't cope. So no longer can really survive even in society. You know, a lot of times you'll see individuals who have become homeless that something tragic, traumatic has happened to them and they just can't almost survive versus the person who I always give the example of mothers against drunk drive. Right, they lose a child in a driving accident and they have decided to give back to society and say, let's solve this problem. I, I want to help another parent not lose a child. Um, that's spiraling up. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it, 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 we, unfortunately, you know, some people do spiral down, but I think a lot of people spiral up.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think of it as like, you know, the, all of perhaps like the pain that we have, that's an opportunity for a lesson and to be able to pay it forward or help somebody else that maybe is going through that. um, And how can we actually use that to our benefit, but also to other people's benefit. Um, And I, you know, at least, you know, I think about just my own life and I think, you know, obviously when you're going through something like that, whatever type of trauma is or something difficult or just something, you know, that, is challenging for you that when you're in it, you know, it's hard to think of that. So it's not like, you know, in the moment you're trying to then think about how am I going to give back or how am I going to, you know, help somebody else with this problem? But I at least think in my own experience that, that at least gives people hope of thinking, you know, oh, that there's perhaps at some point I will be able to see that there is an opportunity for me to spiral up within this experience or this experience that I had.
1: Right. And, and it does, a lot of times will change people's values, right? Because this is based on these levels that are routed in values. So maybe at, you know, at some point you're like, it's very important that you get the job that pays the most. You buy a certain home, you get married, you have so many kids, you start to do this checklist, right? And then something happens and you say, well, I don't know that that was that important. Um, My values just changed. Not that those were bad values. It's just that they changed. Yeah. And Yeah. And so we would say that it is better to care about others or that's moral development theory, right? Moral development theory says, when I make a decision, the more individuals I include in that decision, my higher level of moral development. If I make a decision just based on me, that's the lowest level of moral development. We do that when we're young, right? We say, I want to succeed. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, but we develop morally, we grow. And so sometimes an event speeds that up a little.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think of it through like a coaching lens of sometimes when I'm having conversations with people is it's just being then conscious of what those values are. You know, I think that they can be sometimes just default, like, well, everyone else is seeking, you know, to get the house, to get the job, to get the promotion, to have that, you know, whatever it is, instead of actually taking a moment to think about, well, what is, what is actually really important to me and being more intentional about that. Um, and, you know, and I'm thinking about just when we do experiencing something negative that it does, perhaps that's like when we become more conscious, unfortunately, like one way that it could have, we become more conscious of what those values are. Um, and then it's also, you know, we were kind of touching on that, what we kind of call the
1: midlife crisis. That's really what that's about, right? To get to a certain age and you stop. And James Hollis would say the midlife is 37 years old, right? Which is young today, right? But he says, that's kind of the age. You look back and you say, what did I just do? Were these things I wanted to do? Are these, this is, was this a trajectory that was laid out for me, expected of me, whether it's my family, society, whatever it is. that's that kind of crisis. I don't like to use the word crisis really, because to me, it's about change and you're looking to improve. So, but it kind of takes a little bit of a crisis to nudge
0: you to look. Yeah. Wow, what you know, I know that the word trauma comes up, you know, when you were talking about the children of 9/11 and and I love the way of thinking of like tra- post traumatic growth, that term. But I'm curious cuz you know, this word is used a lot, the word trauma. So, could you um share how you would explain trauma and even the stigma around trauma? Yeah, I Follow the work of Dr. Bessel van der
1: Kolk. In fact, he just had, or just recently in this past year, the number one bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list, uh, the Body, When the Body Keeps Score. And he defines trauma as not the event, but your response to the event. So, Jenny, you and I could experience the same event and have a completely different response. There's some events that we would say are universally traumatic, Right. We watch an accident in front of us. That's traumatic. That's that's trauma. But it's not the event that's the trauma. It's how we respond. And how we respond a lot of times depends on the base work we have, the foundation we have in dealing with something stressful in our lives. That could be a solid family, that could be a guidance counselor, um, a teacher. It doesn't have to be this perfect foundation, but We find that the more things that exist in a person's life that help them cope with the event, the more likely they're to get through that. And, you know, this stigma, which I just really um, bristle at is this because these children had this massive loss in, in this traumatic way. I mean, you know, they watch these towers fall and they know their parents in there or they see that plane go into that building and they know a parent is in there. That's traumatic in that now their response back to it is how do they deal with that? And um, I went to a 9-11 celebration um, in New York. It was a dinner um, that the 9-11, it was a group of parents um, who or families that had formed this group that every year they would meet to honor the um, families and the individuals who died on 9-11. And I was at the dinner and I was sitting next to a neighbor of one of the families and she hadn't lost anyone, and she asked me what, why I was there, and I explained to her about my study, and her response to me was, oh, game over for those kids. And I was so taken back by it. I mean, why is it game over? And it's not game over. They, they, I was able to find every uh, adolescent who had lost a parent in there, and the majority of them were all in college. They were all doing well. They all wanted to do these professions that were really amazing for them to want to do to give back and um it just but the thought of her you know that this event resulted in these children that they didn't stand a chance and that's just not a truth um it's just not a truth so trauma is the response back and i think a lot of these uh children uh, especially even the firemen um they had massive communities and a lot of support and so that really mattered So I think we're still kind of battling that stigma very much, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, yeah. This, you know, and and you think like that, that, that even just that saying game over, it's like, it makes you wonder too how many people just assume that, right? When maybe something even happens to them or, you know, happens to their family member, you know, you think of like a parent that perhaps thinks that about a child, you know, like it's just game over, like the impact of that. Um, and like you said, it's just not the truth. I mean, and you had and your findings, like there's stuff that's con, you know, that contradicts that, that thought in a way, you know, I'm sitting here thinking like, you know, it's just, it's just a different, it's like, even if someone just takes a moment to think of it differently, you know, it's like, you don't have to think like this forever, but just what if you thought about this, that it wasn't what, what would be possible for you? What would be possible for you on the other side of that? Um, If you didn't just assume that it was game over, what do you think, um, you know, I know we kind of did two questions here but we're talking about the stigma around trauma and and also, you know, defining trauma. I want to kind of go back to what you said about defining trauma. And I think this is something that's really important to note that it's not necessarily the event, but it's the it's how we cope with the event. Is that how you worded it? Absolutely. And how we respond to it how, it how we respond to it? It, which is the coping, which is right? the, yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And then, and then, you know, everyone's had something in their life, you know, some degree. Mm-hmm. You could say, yeah, my parents divorced, you know, and uh, for some individuals, that's a true, that is trauma to them, their response to the divorce, the family breaking. Um, so they come in and, and a lot right. of times it's, they're responding the way they did it as a child in adulthood, and that's not working out for them. So a therapist will look at them, We'll look at it or I will and say, well, there was trauma in childhood. And yeah. so we do use that term a lot. Um, and we probably shouldn't, maybe we should back up a little bit. I, I really try to normalize it. You know, my, my response usually to my client is, well, that makes perfect sense. You're, you have that happen. Well, that makes sense when you behave this way. Yeah. Uh, this isn't so working for you. So now how do we change the behavior? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's almost like, it's just like, what was the event that happened, right? Instead of what was the trauma, maybe, you know, that, you know, if we neutralize it of like, what was the event? I know when I was going through my coaching training program and there was a lot of parents in the group. And I remember someone, one of the coaches, like the head coaches in the group that was teaching us, we were just casually having a conversation. She said, you know, when I realized, she has several kids. And she said, when I realized that, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I hope I don't mess my children up. Like she kept on saying that. She goes, we just have accepted the fact that we're going to. She's like, I'm going to do something that is going to affect my child. Like there's going to be some event. And she's like, it could be so small that I wouldn't even notice it. So it's not a matter of don't do it. It's just a matter of that, you know, kind of this acceptance that she said, you know, and it doesn't mean that she's hands up, but I, you know, I think that just normalized it, that it's like, We're all human and we're going to have these experiences. There's going to be these events that are going to change how we're showing up in our life. One of the things that I thought of when you were talking about trauma and the way that we respond, it's more of the way that we respond to it. I was speaking with a friend the other day and she gave this example and I thought that this would be helpful to, to perhaps like, you know, take this, to understand this concept. But she said, you know, she was traveling and her and her friend went on a hike and when they came back to the car, she found out that um, you know, they got robbed. So basically her all of her cards, her thing her phone, her work phone was taken. And she said, you know, the crazy thing is, Jenny, she's like, I, you know, I didn't freak out. She's like, and I used to just get so upset about stuff like that. And she goes, and I was like, how am I going to get home? Cause her driver's license was taken. You know, she's in California trying to make it home. And she was like, you know, so it was a pretty, you know, intense thing of her trying to figure out what she was going to do. And it cost some money and all these things. And she said, but in reflection, she's like, I didn't, I didn't she's like, I was really cool, like calm, cool, and collected about it. And um, and I said to her, I said, You're regulating your nervous system. Like, you know, you're you're that's that's progress. Like that's a sign that you're regulating your nervous system and your response to it. And um, and she was like, Well, I've been working on that. And I'm like, that's awesome, you know, to see that progress. And um, I told her that one of the things I and I share this with my clients a lot, that, you know, when we're you know, when I, when there's these events that happen that perhaps are, you know, frustrating or a a moment where I might get angry or stressed out or whatever, that I remind myself, this is what I've trained for. (laughs) Like, this is what I've trained for outside of like, you know, and, and that that's the opportunity for us to perhaps use your, use your word of spiraling up um, instead of being like, oh my gosh, okay. You know, and not, not that if we aren't doing it and we catch ourselves, like that's progress anyway. You know, it's not, we're not looking for perfection here, but, um, would you say that that's kind of similar to what you're talking about in terms of how we respond in, in, in trauma and how we respond?
1: It, it is, it is a part of it. it. We know that in mental health for, for, to be mentally healthy, we want to regulate our emotions, Yeah, right? We don't want to go fly off the handle. We don't want to cave down into we're crying incessantly, right? Is it appropriate to cry when something happens? Yes. Is it appropriate to get angry? Yes. It's when it goes so far to the extremes. So there's always this regulating. And then it's saying, why can't I regulate it? What's going on that I go, wow, zero to 100 like that? And that happens for people, right? And so we want to regulate it. And a lot of times it is responding to something that happened back in childhood or some event that happened, um, that we say to ourselves, well, it made sense why I did it way back then, but today it's not serving me well. So yes, to your, to what you're getting at is emotion regulation is a key to mental health. It really is. Um, it's kind of what you see the guy in the store, right? Who flies off and you, everybody retreats and, <laughs> and maybe he has a right to be angry. It's that he's gotten to a level where he can't regulate his emotions. Um, and so that's our goal. That should be our goal always, to be able to regulate
0: our emotions. Yeah. How do you know, and I, I think you kind of touched on this, but like, say like someone's listening and, and how do you know if you've experienced trauma? Like, let's say you haven't gone to therapy or explored this. Like, how would you say if someone knows if they've experienced it or not?
1: If you're struggling in some area of their life, um, a lot of times it's personal relationships and a lot of times it's also work. Mm-hmm. Um, they may be a manager or an employee and they're not getting along with people's office. Or they get they go home and, and they're upset by most things that are happening. Um, That's probably because it's touching on something they've experienced that was traumatic in, in the house. Um, and you know, trauma can be things that that are not someone can help. For example, um, an individual who grows up with a parent who's chronically ill. There's a lot that goes on with that. And so uh, the trauma sometimes is, is my parent going to die? Um, is the, the trauma, I may be an embarrassment in front of other kids, you know, and it's something that the parents can't help at all. But this child, again, is responding to the situation in a way that a child would respond. And now they go into adulthood and they respond the same exact way, which doesn't serve them well. Um, you'll see a, a book I recommend a lot in my practice, uh, is called Adult Children of Alcoholics. Not because everyone's coming from a family of, of living with someone who's an alcoholic, but because this book really encapsulates what it's, what the behaviors you develop if you're in a home that has some level of chaos. So it can be a divorce. It can be a chronically ill parent. It can be a family that moves every year. Uh, because there's some trauma to that, right? It's I have like being new friends, it's like new neighborhoods, some things aren't great. Um, so this book talks about four different kind of character- people that um or four different ways or characteristics we develop and behaviors we develop when we're put in uh, childhoods that have some type of chaos. And I think that when I share it with my clients, they find it very helpful to say, you know, I am like number two or or I am the person they describe as number one and and um And to kind of give you an idea of what those things are, um, one is the straight-A student, the child who gets everything right at school, does everything perfectly. The second is the class clown, the sibling who makes all the jokes, is funny, does all those things. Um, The person who is the fixer in the family um, literally takes care of the problem and fixes it. And the fourth is the one who's more the empathy person. That's the person people call in the family and say, I'm having a really bad day. And that person fixes it, and so um, if anyone's listening and they say I fall into one of those four categories, then yeah, probably you may have had an experience growing up that was a little chaotic, mm-hmm. um, and and those things may not be serving you well today. Those
0: same those same behaviors. Mm-hmm. hmm That's a great, that's a great explanation. Those four ways of thinking. I think that almost anyone, I mean, as you're listening, as you're listing them off and I mean, I've done years and years of therapy, but it's like those three, I'm like, I, I feel like I'm a lot of those, you know, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I, right. Yeah. 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 I don't know if I fall into one category, but yeah, it's like a couple of those. And, and it's interesting because I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, I, I bet it's dependent upon what the situation is you know, that I'm in that I would, I perhaps respond that way, you know, and, and, and that's interesting to think of. So one of the things that I think would be really helpful for listeners is to talk about, um, you know, therapy, some of the differences between coaching and therapy, and we'll get there. I know we want to do that in a particular way that I think will be really helpful for people, but, but before we go into that, um, One thing that I've noticed and a big reason why I wanted to have you on was because a lot of my clients go to therapy and then they come to me for coaching. And one of the things that I've noticed is that the clients that have done that, that they, I feel like have a lot of success with coaching, the the ones that have gone to therapy. And, um, And I know I've said this before, but one of the ways that I like to think of it is that you would never go to a personal trainer if you had an injured shoulder, if you tore your rotator cuff. You would get surgery, and then you would go to physical therapy to heal that. And then you would go to the personal trainer to enhance your performance on top of that. So that's the way that I like to think of it. Um, But what I'm curious about and to hear from you is how does one know if they would benefit from therapy?
1: You know, I think think everyone can benefit from it on some level. It doesn't mean that you go to therapy and you go for years for therapy. In fact, I I really resist that thought. I don't think that's a good practice necessarily. I think you can be seeing a therapist for years that you periodically go to. You should take a break, right? So to me, ideally, it's that some things aren't working out in my life. I don't know why. Um, I'm going to be the person that goes to therapy and figures it out because... You know, I say to everyone um, when they come to therapy, there are three ways of knowing. One is your personal experience, right? Um, you know, I'm, if if you're someone that's uh, a woman who comes in and says, I'm divorced, I know what it's like to have gone through this divorce and have two kids. Then the second way of knowing is what are the people in society that you compare with? You may go to a supporter of single moms and then you say, oh, wow, they did this. OK, so that's another way of knowing. But the third way is the research. And what does the research say? And that's what a therapist should bring to you so that when you say, you know, I went through this divorce, I have my kids, here's what's going on, but it's not working out. And, you know, my neighbor, Sue over here, she does it like this and it's work, it's not working either or these things are working out and I don't know how to handle this. As a therapist, I come in and say, okay, here's the healthy way of doing this. Here's the healthy behavior. Um, one example of that would be triangling you know i think it exists everywhere in families among friends in offices and mom murray bowen who is a psychiatrist out of georgetown or was a psychiatrist out of georgetown uh, developed this term or identified this in relationships and families and that is where uh you would have let's say a mom and she is not her son does something where it upsets her. Maybe he wouldn't come by and pick her up and take her to the grocery store. So she gets on the phone with her daughter and says, you know, I'm really upset with your brother. He won't come get me and take me to the grocery store. It's it's my feelings terrible. It's just, I'm so upset today. Then her daughter picks up the phone and calls her brother. There's the triangle. Why didn't she pick up mom? Can't you do that? Why are you being so selfish? Where does the fight land? Between the brother and the sister. Relationship should stay between the mother and the brother. So I will have clients come in and say that. I'm so angry. You know, my husband did this. And, um, you know, she brings a third party in. She doesn't want to confront it with her husband. She wants another person like her daughter to go in and tell her husband, hey, you shouldn't treat mom like that. The relationship should stay between the two people. So that's an example of taking the research saying, here's the healthy way to do this. It doesn't matter what your neighbor so did or tells you how to do it, how to handle your husband. Come into therapy and let the therapist tell you some strategies in handling that. The first two are valuable. I don't want to ever discount the personal experience and what your neighbor's experience is. But that third one is the one where you get the guidance. And so that to me is the value of therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to go forever to do that. You should... Go for a period of time. Your therapist should say, this is what you're going through. I think we should see each other for three to six months. Um, And at the the end of the time, I think you evaluate and say, is my life changing? Are things getting better?
0: If they're not, then maybe you need to find a different therapist. Um, Yeah. I think that's really important, you know, you know, because and I love that you're saying you don't have to go forever, right? Because I know that I've talked to some people that they've been like, you know, I don't really know if I'm getting any better, but I'm going because I feel like I should be going. You know, I think it's an important thing to pay attention to. You know, are you is your life changing? Is it supporting you? And, you know, something that you and I talked about previously, but also I think that this is some overlap between coaching and therapy is this idea that sometimes you don't know what you don't know, meaning you know, until you actually go and you speak with a therapist or a coach, you know, or someone that is really like a biased person in the situation and you can and you trust them that you don't really know, you know, how you might be getting in your own way or how, um, you know, in, for, for therapy, how the trauma that you've experienced is actually getting in your own way, you know, and you maybe are experiencing these patterns and perhaps you've, I mean, I've heard clients say to me, like, you know, that they're like, well, I've just kind of this is what I've accepted, right? It's like, well, no, I mean, this can change and you don't have to accept it to be like this. And I think that triangling example is probably something that a lot of people can relate to of just being like, oh, like this is this is something that I could work on in therapy and understand what is actually a healthy way of showing up in a relationship um but you know i use that saying often like you can't see the picture when you're in the frame and the purpose of getting a therapist or a coach depending on what what where we what we're looking at addressing you know is the going to be the benefit of having that person you know reflect back to you what's happening and like you said you being able to tell them hey this is actually the healthy way and here are some strategies that you can do in order to change this situation
1: Right. And I think the other thing that a therapist should bring is that um, this objectivity, so that, you know, I'm not a friend and you're explaining this is going on with this relationship. And so I ask a question, just a question, right? And it doesn't mean I'm not here to tell you what to do. It is your decision. But if you're coming in, if I have a client that's coming in and they're in a very bad relationship, a romantic relationship, and a lot of things have happened, you know, I find the question a lot of times I'll ask is for men and women. Well, what needs to happen for you to leave? What would make you leave? So now you have okay. I'm okay with taking this, this, and this. I'm very tolerant of this. But now I know consciously what wouldn't be okay. And sometimes it takes that third professional party. You don't want to hear that from a friend, right? Because that feels judgmental. Instead, is is a therapist. I'm trying to say, okay, let's 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 get a baseline here for you. And and you know what? if that does happen and you still want to stay, that's your choice. But you're coming here to try to figure it out. And that's to me what a, a therapist should help a person do, is also have that objective, professional uh, view
0: of what's going on in your life. Yeah. 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 I think that that's that's huge. And, and, and just you mentioning too, the years and years of therapy, I know I might've already said that, but it's like, You know, I think back, like, I did go to therapy for a really long time, and I'll just share from my own personal experience, I mean, for 10 years on and off, and more than others at some points, you know, and, you know, I think when I started, it was, like, twice a week, and then it was, like, once a week, and then, you know, it went down to, like, once a month, and then, you know, and then it was, like, on and off, which just went, like, kind of as needed, and I think, you know, just letting people know, like, that's how it can be, you know, and you work with your therapist, like, in partnership with them to figure out what you what they think would be supportive for you. But I know for me that, you know, at some point I realized, like, I kind of just kept on going because it was comfortable um, when I knew what the skills were. It's like I could almost, you know, my therapist that I worked with for a long time, her name was Tina. And it was like, I could, you know, I, I could know what she was going to say to me in certain situations, which was helpful. It was so useful. I was, you know, because I even said to her when I came, you know, for the first few times, I was like, I wish I just had a little Tina on my shoulder, you know, to remind me of these things. And then it was almost like my wish was granted because I was in situations and I would be like, I know what Tina would tell me, you know, and it was helpful for me to then be like, okay, I can course correct now in um, in that process. Yeah. And to add on that, Jenny, what, what, you know, when you find a therapist that
1: is you feel has the skills, the education, um, is a reputable therapist, okay, and you step in, the reason change occurs is because of therapeutic relationship, period. That's what it comes down to. So you now you trusted Tina. You trusted yeah. her, right? And then it's hard to walk away from Tina, right? <laughs> right, it's hard. And so, um, you know, I find a lot of times I'm, when I'm working with clients, we'll get to a place where I feel like, okay, they're, you're doing okay. So why take a break? And I think sometimes they're shocked by that because when you need she you to want to me coming every week. And my the therapist, is <laughs> the therapist is breaking up with me. Don't you like me? And, you know, and I like my clients so much. And it's just, but it, that's my job. My job is to say, okay, you're doing okay, but you can call anytime and come back. And so that's really how it should work that you mm-hmm. are seeing change and it's time. And then Ooh. come back right? Mm-hmm. If, if something chops up and you say, I need to go talk to need to go talk to her again.
0: I think that that is something that is so important to remember that you know, and I, I'm the same way in coaching. And I think that this is kind of the dark side of coaching, at least what I've experienced with some of the things that I was taught and whatnot is, you know, you, you, you work with a coach forever or like you keep on working with them. And, and, and there's a lot of coaches that do that. And I would probably assume therapists too, you know, that it's just like, instead of being like, Hey, you know, I kind of put boundaries on like timelines, like, Hey, like, we're going to try this kind of like what you said, we're going to try this for six months, three to six months. This is usually about how long this takes to, to create some transformation and change. Um, But at that moment, then we're going to reassess, like, how are things going? Are we making progress, right? Because it doesn't make sense to continue something. And also that's, you know, it can create that. I mean, I would think of it as like codependency, whereas like, you know, instead of creating them to be self-sufficient and, you know, previously I was a nutrition coach and a personal trainer and what I always would tell my clients, this is just something that I value and I think is so important, is that you know, that we need the work is to eventually be self-sufficient at this, right? To be your own advocate for these things, like learn what you need to learn, but then it's you, it's on you. And that's actually empowering, which sometimes it's like, oh gosh, I don't know, you know, but like, it's a good thing. Like you, when you tell your, your clients, like, hey, you know, I think you're, you're doing good. You know, you don't, you don't need me. That's, that's something to celebrate, even though it's like, oh gosh, you know, I'm, I'm leaving the nest, but, you know, and I know that I find my clients, you know, when we're, when we're, we call it completing, when we're, you know, getting done, we do these certain exercises to set them up for success, you know, and they're like nervous. And I'm like, I mean, but that's a good thing, you know, I'm like, this is, this is good, you know, and it's something to celebrate. So um, I think that that's just something, you know, being on the, the, On this side of it, working with a therapist and also then being a coach is just like something for people to be aware of is like, pay attention to that. Is your therapist relying on you to pay their bills or do they genuinely want to help you? And this is where what you were saying, you know, it's the same thing with coaches too. It's like, what is actually their intention here? Do you trust them? And is that relationship, you know, healthy? Um, Right. And so I'm, I'm a professor at
1: university and I teach graduate social work. And so what I'm training MSWs to be your mental health providers, Mm -hmm. and what we teach them is there is an engagement, an assessment, an intervention, an evaluation, and a termination. Okay, so there should be a point where you terminate with your client, because if the client is not getting better, you need to readjust, you need to change your intervention, or you may not be the right person for that client. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, termination should exist somewhere. It doesn't mean it's forever termination. Um, it's like going to the doctor. You break your arm and it gets healed. You don't see the doctor for a while. Yeah. But she may say, hey, I need a check mm-hmm. And so that's just, it's the same thing. It, it, it should be handled yeah. the same way, mental
0: health. Yeah. You know, I'm in this training right now. Um, and one of the things that I learned, I thought this was fascinating. And so he's, he's a licensed social worker, Dr. John Connolly. He Anyway, he... In this training, he said something that was fascinating. He said, you know, do you ever hear coaches, therapists, doctors, um, anyone that's like, you know, you would relate to as like a professional, you know, that's helping you in some way or supporting you in some way. Do you ever hear them say, you know what, um, I'm sorry, I didn't have the skills to, to support you. And it was really eye opening because I was like, no, you don't hear that. And how many times do you think, you know, people have perhaps gone to therapy and it hasn't worked for them, and they now are taking on this belief that, oh, well, I'm broken. It's not going to help me. Instead of thinking, well, perhaps the coach, the therapist, the doctor, whoever you went to see, perhaps they didn't have the skills to support you.
1: That's right. And as you do an assessment as a therapist, when a new client comes, um, I do a free, you know, hour. Let's talk about what's going on. Tell me your story. Why are you deciding to seek a therapist? Have you seen a therapist before? Did it work? Why or why not? Um, those are all really important questions. Your therapist should ask someone that you're interviewing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've said at times, I don't think I'm the right therapist for you. I, I don't think I'm someone that, you know, would, would do well in in helping you, but let me help find someone for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, sometimes I've worked with a client and, you know, I I ended up um, working with individuals who had mild traumatic brain injury because an agency here in Virginia asked me if I would see one of the clients who um, was uh, grieving a loss and I was specializing in grief and loss. And I ended up learning a lot about that population and the things that occur when you have a mild traumatic brain injury. But my approach to therapy with these clients was, I'm a therapist, I can talk to you about human behavior, help you with your relationships. But I know nothing about what it's like to live with a mild traumatic brain injury. So if you want to teach me about that, we'll do therapy here and help you with relationships. And so, yeah, I ended up in specializing in traumatic brain injury because of it. I'm doing a lot of research in it. So that happened, but your therapist should be honest about that, right? You start off with, I I know nothing about this, but I do know about mental health. I do know how relationships are supposed to work and how to, with the grieving process and all of those things. Um But your therapist has to be willing to learn. Mm-hmm. So, and some people don't want to, and there's nothing wrong with the therapist. It's just, they may not want to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's really, that's really, well, that's a beautiful story, but I think it's just something that like we often don't think about, you know, I it's just that you don't think about like, you know, Oh, maybe, you know, you. I mean, I think it'd be more common to maybe you go to a doctor and you're like, okay, that doctor didn't help me. I'm going to go to a different doctor, right? Like that's more more common, but I, you know, it's even like, I mean, this is a silly example, but like yoga instructors, I remember I was, you know, <laughs> I was talking to a friend and she goes, oh yeah, yoga's not for me. I hate yoga. And, and I was like, okay. I was like, I mean, that's fine. Like, you know, no big deal. But I was like, I'm just curious, you know, what about it? Do you not like, and she's like, oh, well, you know, it was just, the, it was just, there was a lot of spirituality to it. I'm just not into that, you know? And I'm like, Well, actually, you know, every yoga instructor is so different. You know, I'm like, there's some that will play rock music in the class and they don't talk anything about the spiritual side. You know what I mean? And you're like talking in class. So I was like, you know, there are so many different, you know, and that's, I think that's the, that's the thing is that, you know, finding that person that you really grew with. And like you said, I think you said it was like, it's research that when we know that it's working in therapy, that it's based on having a a good relationship. Is that how you said it? Yeah, exactly. And it is about therapeutic relationship. Um, and you know, part of that is, you know, I'm
1: a therapist that I'm pretty direct. I will listen. And then I, and I say that to my clients, this is Mm -hmm. how I practice. Mm -hmm. Um, some people like it, some don't. And I, you know, and I'll say, if this doesn't work for you, my style, then we need to find a therapist that the style works for you. Um, you know, a, a lot of times I've had clients come to me and say, I went three times to the therapist. And after I told my story, I thought, well, why am I coming back again? Because you're not saying anything back to me. And so I learned as a therapist from that, that the client wanted to hear back. You know, sometimes people go to therapists and, and I'm not picking on a therapist, but, you know, because there's sometimes people just want to sit and be heard. And that does work. Yeah. Um, So again, it's finding that fit. It's finding the therapist that practices the way you want to work and then say, is my life changing? Are things changing? If they're not changing, then you need to have talk with your therapist and maybe change therapists or
0: therapists could change the way they're doing
1: in the intervention.
0: Yeah. 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 And I mean, I think it's like, you know, get also just like when you, if you change therapists, like you're going to get different perspectives and a different experience, just like with coaches, you know, I mean it's the same, like very similar in terms of that. It's like, I encourage my clients, like, hey, talk to other people. Don't just talk to me. You know what I mean? Like find out what, you know, what is, what you're interested in, what excites you and what, you know, where you feel like you're, you're. it feels like a good fit. And I think that that's something that is overlooked. It's like, you might just think, oh, I found this one person. Okay. I go and interview them. And, and, and that is something, and I'm curious what you would say to the person that, that I feel like this is kind of like a, a joke where you know, and I, you and I might have talked about this at some point too. Where you're like, ah, oh, well, I don't want to go to a new therapist because I have to tell them my story, you know, and I have to go into all the detail again. So, and maybe even the person that hasn't already done that, right? Maybe they don't want to. They they're they're like that's kind of like the the thing that's maybe preventing them from going, you know. Whether it's they're like searching for a therapist, so that's going to take time, but also you know, telling them their story and having to go into that, what would you say to that person? I would say, you know,
1: because you've been to a therapist and you've done all that work, you kind of know where to start. And so take the mindset of I'm going back because I'm having this problem. This is what's going on. And I can't figure it out. Even though I've been to a therapy, I've done all the standardization. Why is my life not changing in this area? And get a new perspective. You don't have to sit down and what I like to call brain dump, right? Just to say, okay, here's everything that's happened in my life. And here's what I learned from a therapist. And here's what I know about myself. Um, Just start with the issue. And you'll probably learn something different. You you, you will. You know, you'll learn something a little different about yourself that you thought for sure you knew. Um, That's therapy. Like, to me, that's good therapy. So I, I would say don't get hung up on that. Really just go and say this is the problem. And let's see what this new therapist says. And even where they start, you know, because I, you know, it's funny, I learned a lot in working with individuals with a traumatic brain injury. And one of the things I learned was that they would come in and say to me, they'd have their staff of papers of their medical records. And they'd say, have you read my medical records? Do you know what my level of reading is? Do you know what my my psychological metrics have said? And, and I said, I haven't read any of that. And then I realized, I don't want to read any of that. We're going to start where you are today. And so the history almost bogged them down, and then it was freeing to sit in front of somebody and they could start new. Yeah. So I would say to someone who's been doing all that, sit down with somebody new and start fresh. And and I think I think that's therapeutic in itself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So I know that something that you and I have been doing before this podcast was talking about the differences between coaching and therapy. And, you know, I think we've also realized that there are some similarities, but there are differences and and, and important differences. So I think it's helpful to talk about them. Um, and, um, one of the ways that I thought that this could could go well and, and how we naturally just kind of started talking about the differences was giving examples of, you know, if we had a client that was like this or was, you know, struggling with something specific, you know, what, how you would address it and how I would address it. Um, so how you would address it from a therapeutic And, you know, place and then how I would address it from a coaching place. And I think that that will kind of help people understand, you know, what are the differences if they have not experienced it. One of those is, I, I think that perhaps going back to this idea of triangling um, would be a good would be a good example. So if I had a client that was coming to me that was like, you know, I feel like I'm constantly getting in fights with my brother um, or my sister, you know, and and I'm, at, you know, let's just say it's it's the woman and she's she's getting she's getting in fights with her brother all the time because of the mom and they're they're creating that situation. What would how would you address that issue with your client? Well,
1: so I would look at the relationship of the family mm-hmm. and what is the di- dynamic being set up within the family system? You know, um, every client that I sit down with, I do a genogram. It's called a genogram. And a genogram is basically an emotional map of your, of your family history. It's, um, and you start with, you know, the grandparents and you say, are they living? Um, if they die, would they die? Of, um, with, what was the relationship like? And you look at all of the relationships. And if I'm working with that kind of triangle, a lot of times I'm looking for where there's competition. And I would start to, to explore that. You know, it was there, co- it was competition created in the family because a lot of times that's what's going on if the mom is going to another child to help with the other child. And what we know about competition is that it destroys intimacy. You cannot have an intimate relationship with someone that you're competitive with, because you're always standing there going, oh, "I got to win." Mm. So oh. that's where I would I would start to target in with that and um, mm. looking at the family dynamics.
0: Yeah, I lo- and I love that golden nugget. There is, you know, you can't have an intimate relationship with somebody that you're you're, you're competing with, right? That's, I mean, that's. Makes sense, right? Um, that guard is there. So if I had a client come to me that was doing this, and, and you know, it's it's hard to kind of imagine these scenarios, but, you know, the the thing that I think would be really different in terms of how you would do it and how I would do it is I would be looking more so in, I, I wouldn't be so, you know, intrigued or interested by what actually was happening within the relationships. Like they might talk about it, but I'd be like, okay, well, what I'm curious about is what would you, what do you want to be experiencing here? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You know, and, and we would look more in the future. And then how, how do we go about creating that now? And, and I think that this is what I keep on coming back to when we're having these conversations is that, you know, it sounds like, you know, coaching is going to focus more on the future and and therapy is going to focus more on the past but it sets you up without that it you know it's going to get in the way of your future so this is why i think that therapy is so important because that's the thing that if you come to coaching without perhaps doing that if there is trauma that it's going to get in the way
1: right and so to take it that step further in therapy like they take that situation let's say the daughter She's probably the one that's always kind of the fixer in the environment, in the office, in the friends. And then she gets to a place where she needs help. She has yeah. a crisis that happens in her life. And there's no one in her life to do that because she has always taken on that role. Of, I will fix it for you. You yeah. can call me with the problem, but I don't have a place to call with the problem. Right. And so that's the change we would be doing in therapy. Yeah. And times sometimes that cleans out some friends. Yeah, Certainly changes relationships with family. All of a sudden, they're not the fixer. Um, and they do it in offices and then they're friends. And so it's that behavior is what I'm going to focus on in therapy. Yeah. Um, and look back on why why did you do that? Why have you been this person? How did you become that role in your family system? And now that we're going to change it.
0: Yeah. And yeah. what's so helpful is like that, let's say that woman did come to me, she would, be, she would know this. She'd be like, you know, I tend to be the fixer in relationships. So that's something that I can support them to continue to break up, to create the new beliefs, but they come into the conversation already knowing, oh, well, I'm this way because of this, right? But I'm like, okay, you know, and what do you, you know, if you don't want to be that way, how, where else are you doing that? This is always something that we look at in coaching, right? Oh, if I'm experiencing this here, where else am I experiencing it? Cause I'm probably experiencing somewhere else. So, so then now we're sometimes more motivated to change it because we can see that it's showing up in multiple areas now we know that that is perhaps you know a pattern for you. How do we create the new one? What does that look like? Um, right. And see, the therapy phrase
1: I would say to that client is, "Where does this feel similar?" Mm-hmm. That when you have that experience, where does that feel similar? And then they usually revert it back to something that happened in childhood, childhood. It felt similar when I had this experience with my mom or my dad. Mm. Um, so yeah, it sounds like you're trying to get the pattern stopped and I'm, I'm trying to get the pattern stopped, but I want to start back with where does this, this feeling that you have, what is it similar to? to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And this is why, you know, I mean, and, and, and just from my own experience with doing therapy and then going into coaching for me, because I was in therapy for so long when I did start working with a coach and I was really nervous about that. And I was all, I was all like, what? is coaching how do people become coaches you know and it, it, i mean in the difference a big difference between coaching and therapy is that coaching is not a regulated is not a regulated in, industry right so so this is where i tell people i'm like you know actually i would encourage people to be skeptical of coaches <laughs> i think that it's 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 for good reason um and so to do your research and to perhaps get a referral you know and and and, and go that route but you know i think that for me when i when i did search and i i went from therapy into coaching and i and i went back and i did both at the same time and i actually have a lot of clients that that do both um but for me it was i i it was really refreshing for me and and i want to i i just want to mention this because i felt like i had talked so much about why i was the way that i was and and perhaps this was just the experience with my therapist but it was helpful to just almost like, I want to say it's like this like tough love a little bit, like no more talking about it, like not no more talking about it, but just like, what do you want? You know, like, let's focus on that. Like let's, 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 and and it was like, you know, I mean, we do talk about goals and, and every coaching experience is going to be different, but with me, you know, there is that facilitative part. And a lot of people think that that's all that coaches do where it's just that, just like goal setting or that structure facilitation and that is like not even half of it right more of it is this we're working on the beliefs and the values we're figuring out what are those values what is important to you how do you want to be living your life what do you want to be experiencing and in the process you know of going through like developing that clarity and getting to know yourself which is what you do in therapy so there's similars you know similar things there but i think that that foundation you know, at least in, and I, I, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but I know for me that it's been, if I didn't have that foundation and I mean, I wouldn't know any differently. So, you know, who knows, but what I would, I would say is that if I didn't have that foundation in coaching, I just don't think that, or that foundation in therapy, I don't think that coaching would is, would have been as effective for me.
1: Yeah. But I, but I think they they bring, they're, they're very par- they parallel. I think they very yeah. much parallel. When I talk to you, I, I, you know, I, I've said okay. to you, I think sometimes you are doing some things that therapist does. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on this parallel side, I do think it is not just going back, but it's sometimes. You think of clients who say, "I have a norm that is not working for me. It is a norm for me to when I want to when I have some event happen in my life that's very upsetting to go home and cry by myself. Okay, that's not a good norm, right? It, but that's that person's norm. Yeah. And then they say, I don't know how to handle it. Then I have no idea how to reach out. So I think when I hear, well, we talk a lot, Jenny, yeah. I think in terms of the emotional side over here mm-hmm. and, 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 and I, I, I think, but, but I, but I think your side is also healing emotional side. Yeah. And but we're both setting goals. I think we are both setting goals. Yes.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, I think and this is the thing and this is why we wanted to do this, to, you know, because it's there's a lot of gray area and I think it's like the language around it is is different, but there's a lot of those a lot of those similarities and I mean, you know, you know, like I use a feelings wheel with a lot of my clients and that was something that I got from therapy. You know, I I talk about nonviolent communication, you know, with my clients and that's something that I learned in therapy. Like but those are tools and and just like any therapist is going to give you tools and strategies a coach a coach does too. And so the one thing that I think that was helpful for me the way that I thought of this is you know to go back to the physical therapist example and the and a personal trainer is like you would you know if you're if you had an injury you would go to this physical therapist you would you know you would work it out and then you would go to the the personal trainer but there's going to be some some overlap within that area because – and you might have to go back to physical therapy if you perhaps tweak that part again, right? So there's going to be some overlap. Like it doesn't mean that you're going to stop doing all of the stuff that you learned in physical therapy when you go to the personal trainer. Like they're going to actually support – and connect those things together. And there should, I mean, it, the way that I look at it is like, this is why I think a lot of my clients, they benefit from doing both or going back and forth because, and I have, because there is a fusion and there is there is similarity to, between the two. Um, but yeah, so yeah. it's, you know, hopefully this is helpful. Hopefully we're not confusing people more. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I, I think if I drill it down somewhat, and then you correct me if
1: I'm mischaracterizing this, but I think- I think I'm focused on the emotional side of it, and and the mental health, mental and emotional side of this, right? And then where is this coming from? Even though I have tasks, um, because one thing that we won't do in therapy is we will. I will not see a client who's seeing a therapist. You cannot have two therapists working with the same client. Oh my gosh, yeah. Because well, because if I if you come in and you tell me a story that's going on, and we you know we um, and I give a a perspective of, of it from a professional point of view. They then go to the client will go to the next therapist and say, Well, okay, what do you think? And they start comparing and, and it it kind of takes away the the trajectory. It's kind of like it loses momentum because now it's sort of a smorgasbord. I'm gonna take this from this therapist and this from this therapist. And you can't do that with mental health, right? Right.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: You can't do that. So but to me, uh in coaching, you can do both at the same time because I think I'm focusing more on the mental and emotional side of the client in the
0: tasks, even though the goal may be the same thing, right? Right. I think, you know, and that's what I think that this is what's interesting when you're saying that I'm like, I had an aha, because one of the things that, I get really clear about with my clients is that if they are in therapy, is like, I, you know, I ask them if they're willing to share, like, well, what are you, what are you working on in therapy? Because I'm not going to, we're not going to double dip in that, right? Because, or, you know, and I I also tell them, like, hey, if something comes up where you feel like you're getting support in therapy on that, let's talk about something different. And it might be, it might be something like, oh, you know, they're dealing with, you know, a lot of anxiety in certain areas of their life with their family. And so that's what they're working on in therapy. And what I'm doing is supporting them to look at, okay, well, what do you want? How do we create the experience that you want moving forward? But, you know, they're going mostly into those, like, you know, and, and I mean <laughs> – I do emotional regulation, my, you know, my back, like I have the yoga certification. So I talk about nervous system regulation and emotions and things like that. But again, it's different because I'm focusing more on like, what do you want to be experiencing? Right. And this is where I know, and this is maybe a good indication. Like if if I'm working with a client that is having a really difficult time talking about what they want in the future and they keep on going into the past and they keep on talking about the past, which some of that's just human and we do it because we're like, well, I don't want this. And I experienced this one time, but if it's reoccurring, I know that that's not someone that I can support that they perhaps therapy would be a better approach for them. And then, and then I talk to them about that. I'm like, what do you think about this? You know, have you done this? I mean, usually at that point, I know if they've done it or not, you know, and I'm like, I think that this would be more useful for you right now. And then let's work on this. But that's where I think, you know, there's, there's just that stopping point that I'm not qualified in order to, to support someone that has that reoccurring thing that is um, not allowing them to move forward.
1: And I would say, and from the therapist's point of view, that recurring thing is probably the response to a traumatic event. Yes. So in the therapy session, I'm trying to get the person to get through it, the response. And what I'll say a lot of time is we want to put it on the shelf. Because if you can't, we will acknowledge it is traumatic. We will acknowledge it. It was a horrible thing. We will acknowledge it. You didn't have the support and the need at the time it happened. But now we need to put it on the shelf for you to move forward. Then they can come sit with you, I think, and then do the goals or and and, and process the trauma, right? But I need them to put it. I need to get them to get it on the shelf um, and yes. know that they can do that because maybe they are suffering from depression because you know, we have this thing called dysthymia, which is this low-grade depression that'll happen a lot of times to individuals who've had trauma early on and don't even really know, they don't really even know that they have this level of depression. So that needs to be addressed. I think before they can really move forward with any task, I'm going to try to give them.
0: Yeah. So I think that that's a really clear distinction. It's like this inability to move forward, right? Like that's, yeah. that, that is more to be addressed by, ther- you know, a, you know, a therapist, not, not necessarily a coach. So um, you know, and people may not know that until they go right, and so I think that that's the thing is that you know you, this is why again it comes back to relationship and trusting that person because I will send someone I'll be like, hey, we're either going to put this on pause or you know we're gonna you know stop completely and 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 you know find another find another route that'll be more supportive for you. So that's I think that that's an important distinction. Um, anything else about that that you think is important before we kind of go into this last? Part where I think it's going to be helpful for people to talk about how to find a therapist and what that looks what that looks like.
1: You know, I would hope that we've gotten to a place we talked about stigma when we first started. Um, but in looking at seeking therapy as something that's just kind of even a checkup for yourself and your mental health, you know, we're not superhumans. We all deal with something in our lives at some point in time, and sometimes it's just nice to have someone who's going to talk it out with you uh, coming from a perspective of a professional. Uh, confidentiality is huge in therapy that you should feel that you can share with your therapist something that's never going to go outside of those walls. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm vigilant about that with clients' confidentiality. So I, I would hope people look at therapy like that versus there's something wrong with me. I need to see a therapist. You know, it's really just someone to go to and help you figure something out.
0: Yeah yeah, and i and i I'm so glad that you you brought it back to that because I know we wanted to we wanted to address that and the stigma around it, which is really important. I know that this is the routine that i I get into where I think it's so normal because I've done it, and a lot of the people around me have done it. But right, we realize like it's not, you know it's not it there is still the stigma around it. And if we can start to relate to it as something as a checkup, just like you would go to the doctor, you know, once a year to get your blood work, you know, perhaps this is something, especially if you've never done it. That you could just go see, hey, you know, I want to explore this and figure out if this is something that can support me. Um, and and I think that that's really important. One other thing that I I think that I've been kind of um, getting curious about and if this is helpful is just like if you are someone that is isn't therapy and if you're comfortable to just start talking about it with other people, that you are in therapy and that it has... Helped you, you know. Obviously, it you know, with your trusted people, you don't have to go out and do a public service announcement. But you know, hey, if you're motivated (laughs) to do it, great. But I think, like, I think if we can start talking about it more, I think that some a lot of people don't know that there's really successful people that you would think that oh, they don't have anything going on, right? That are in therapy or they're getting support and that or they have been in therapy for years. And I think that this is something that if we perhaps just talk about it more that it will hopefully be more normalized and people will be like, Oh, you know, maybe, maybe I should, should go get that checked out too.
1: Yeah. And that leads also to the other thing is that you're a therapist. should see a therapist. Um, and if you, you know, look at all the research on this. Um, in fact, I had someone who I was out socially and he was a judge and he said, are you seeing a that you're a therapist? Yes, I am. Are you seeing a therapist? <laughs> and I said, yes, I've seen a therapist. And, and he said, cause that's so important. And that is important because if yeah. I don't know that I'm mentally healthy, how can I help someone be that? Yeah. And so, um, yeah. yeah, your therapist should see a therapist too. Um, yeah. And in the same way that I do, you know, I go for a while, I stop, I come back. Um, but yes, yeah. therapist should see a therapist. So,
0: yeah, it's like if you were working out with a personal trainer that never worked out, wouldn't that be weird, right? right. Exactly, exactly. So, and it makes me, I feel
1: a better therapist because, I know what I like, like when, when the therapist did this for me, you know, I was like, "Ah, but she did that. I like that. She asked me that, that was helpful. And then I learned different techniques for her. and, And then I learned about myself and why I would respond to a client in a particular way, sitting in a session. Um, those were all really important things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's just plain mental health, um, being, keeping yourself mentally healthy
0: yeah it's just a way to do that yeah and I you know therapisting a therapist I think another thing at least in the coaching industry is like education like are they are they doing trainings like what are they interested in you know are they doing other trainings like you know I've done a manifestation training because my clients kept on asking me about manifestation I was like I don't know about like this isn't something that I'm familiar with but I'm curious so you know I'm gonna go learn about this and now I'm doing this you know this hypnosis training and it's like you know it's fascinating and I'm like you know so I think it's like also so you, and you can see this, which leads into our, our question, you can see this on certain platforms about therapists. What are they, you know, what are the other works, you know, what are the other things that they do? Um, you know, just like for me, like I do include mind-body connection work. I have people do somatic practices that support them because I find that, well, research shows that that is effective. And so I think that this is important to to be like, okay, well, what else, what other trainings does my therapist have? And is this something that's you know, interesting to me. Um, And and you can ask that because, uh, so I'm an LCSW, which is a licensed parental social worker
1: Mm -hmm. um, in the state of Virginia. And so I am required to take continuing education classes. I have to have 40 credits within two years. And so that's a lot of credit hours. Mm -hmm. And so I choose what, uh, you know, um, conferences I go to, who I follow, um, and yes, I bring it into my practice. I, I, last August, I did one on mindfulness with Dr. Gabor Mate, who I just love, and so I can bring it right back into the therapy session and talk about that work. And um, so, an LCSW, we're required to do that. But yes, what what is their what is therapist's interest? Where do they tend to go? What 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 conferences do they go to? Um, um, that's certainly a legitimate question to ask a therapist.
0: Yeah. So let's, let's look at that. What would you say is the best way to find a, a good therapist?
1: You know, um, I'm a big fan of Psychology Today, and uh, that's a website, PsychologyToday.com. It allows you to go on and everyone, I'm on there, and everyone that's on there had to go uh, have their credentials checked. You had to, um, and have no violations. Mm-hmm. I would say I would go on and look, uh, you know, if you're looking at me, I would go into Virginia and in the state of Virginia, and I would look up my license and see if I have any violations on it. Um, and then I would look at uh, what areas I practice in. Um, and, you know, a lot of therapists will give a free consult. Not everyone, but I I'm, I do. I, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I, I think it should be, you know, it is a personal decision. And uh, if everything else is checking out for you, that you feel like, oh, no, I think they have the experience, the credentials, but now do I like them? Because if you don't like your therapist, it's not going to work. So um to me, that's really what it comes down to. Making sure you've checked all the boxes over here and then do you like them? And do you like how they, do you like how they work? You know, not everybody wants to be given the tough questions. Um And then some people do. So
0: yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. it's got to be a good
1: fit hmm
0: What, what are some of the things that, like, let's say if they're brand new to this, and I know you mentioned some of this stuff, like, let's say we're on psychology today and we're looking, you know, locally and whatever. What are the things to actually look for?
1: You know, there's a difference of, of, of our degrees too. And, mm-hmm. and, um, a psychiatrist will tend to, because the insurance companies have kind of dictated this a lot, right? Um, a psychiatrist is if there you would need a psychiatrist if you find that you've been recommended to get medication. That's mm-hmm. that's what the psychiatrist does. He, he prescribes the meds. He will also do therapy as well. There are psychiatrists that will. Most will work with a psychologist or an LCSW along with the medication management. Um, a psychologist is is similar to a psychotherapist, which is what I am, an LCSW psychotherapist. Um, and there but They've also been trained more um, on testing, uh, more, I would say, pathology-focused. Uh, um, and that's not to say a psychotherapist can't do that. So I'm so hesitant to say one can and can't. That's not the yeah. truth. But uh, if you're looking for something that's more of a life event that's happened, that you're going through a divorce or had a loss of a spouse or your job isn't working out, I may mean, look at an LCSW, um, and an LCSW is going to take an approach of a person and environment. That's the paradigm of an LCSW. So it's not to say a psychologist can't do that as well. So I don't want to, everybody to get upset with me that's a psychologist <laughs> and sends up. Oh, I'm telling I a psychologist. Or it's just that our focuses are a little different. You know, they, they are. are. Yeah. And, um, so that's, that's kind of my without trying
0: to offend anybody yeah well i think that that's really helpful though because it's like you know i mean people may not even be paying attention to that right they may not even be paying attention to the credentials or they don't know the difference or that there is a difference so you know it's pay attention to them and maybe if you tried a a psychologist you know maybe try a licensed you know social worker right you know um you know and then you know that that approach might be a little bit different. So I think that that's something that's, you know, really helpful to just be thinking about for yourself. Um, and I know this might be kind of a big question, but I know we talked about this earlier like, you know, we look around our life and we're like, is this working? What are the signs that it that therapy is working? That you do feel like there are two things.
1: You're starting to get uncomfortable. Right? You come home and maybe you're not sleeping at night because you're thinking about therapy session. That means your therapist is targeting on some things that you need to change. Um, The therapist, your therapist should understand that's happening and you guys work it out together at the same time, that's occurring. But that means there's change happening, right? Um, That's because that's what you're looking for. You're looking for change. You want your life to change. So if there is this discomfort, okay, you know, I'm getting uncomfortable, but boy, they may be tapping on some things I need to change. Mm -hmm. And then the other flip side is, you're getting along better in your life with certain relationships. Um, you're maybe being free of certain ones. Or now you go to that family event and you don't feel so bad when you come home anymore. <laughs> right? You're able to uh, look at it and understand what's going on and be okay with it. So it's that change factor. You should feel change in some way. That means therapy is, is working. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really great. What are your thoughts on encouraging a loved one to go to therapy? The reason I'm asking this is because there's been conversations that I've had with people, whether it's a friend or a client or something like that, and they'll be like, you know, well, I'm doing all this work, and I just wish that, you know, my partner or my friend or, you know, so-and-so, whatever, would go to therapy because, man, they need therapy. (laughs) You know, maybe it's not that severe, but just for an example. So what are your thoughts on encouraging a, a loved one to go to therapy?
1: Well, I think certainly if you can get a loved one to go, that's that's a great thing. Um, a lot of times, that's I, doesn't happen, right? I would say most, you know, most don't. I've even had clients say, "I'm going to bring my, I'm going to bring my husband in. Can I bring my husband in?" Okay, you know, that's fine. Um, you know, I I will not see couples separately. You know, I, I, a lot of therapists do. That's not something I do. But um, and the reason being is if I'm seeing couples and then I see them each individually. A lot of times when we get back into the couple the rela- uh, session, they wonder what I've been told by each other. Right. And so there gets a discomfort there, but it's up. It is a practice and it's an ethical practice. So I, um, it's just something I don't tend to do. I, I would say I want the person to focus on themselves because I, that's why I like individual therapy over family therapy. Because if I can get one person to change in the house, it will change everybody in the house. And I think you have to believe in that. So if you keep coming to the individual therapist and you you talk about these relationships you're having and we give you tools to go back out and like stop triangling, you will change the dynamics in the family. And the goal is for you to be happy with your relationships. It'd be great if your loved one goes, but I don't tend to try to get the person to figure out how to get the other person to go to therapy. I try to get the person to understand if they make changes changes will happen in those relationships.
0: Yeah. You know, this is something that I notice in, in coaching too, you know, cause it's common, right? A human nature for us to start to look at other people when you're making changes and you start to see, well, oh my goodness, there's almost like more of a contrast, right? And you become, because when you become self aware, you start to become more aware of what other people are doing. Right. And they think that, you know, so it's, You know, I think sometimes it is coming from a good place, right? You want them to be experiencing what you're experiencing, which is great. But I think, you know, reminding yourself that there is a natural ripple effect by you focusing on you and that naturally will inspire other people to get curious and maybe just, you know maybe they'll get curious eventually. Right. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, and maybe it'll change through you, you know, cause I know if I, you know, if I go home
1: and I am struggling with the relationship, my therapist has given me tools on how to talk to my partner about it and how, what I can say to him, that changes the relationship. Yes. So, and then he changes a little because of the way I'm behaving. Right. Um, when you believe in that process, change
0: happens for both of you.
1: Yeah. It's not, it's not that you have to get
0: your partner or
1: or your spouse to, 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 to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really reassuring. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, are there any other things that you would like to share before we wrap up here? Well, I, this has been great, Jenny. I think we've had lots of conversations
1: over the last year about the difference between coaching and therapy and they both are so valuable, you know, and, um, So I just, I appreciate you doing this podcast and, you know, I hope, I've helped people learn from some of the things on what the difference is between the two and
0: and they both really are helpful in your life. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Don Higgins. I'm so grateful that you took the time to do this and I, and I hope that it was helpful for other people. I know that I've gotten a lot of questions and people reach out to me that they're not sure. And hopefully this gives them a little bit of guidance on what's next for them. But we'll put all of your contact information in the show notes. But anything that you want to share in terms of how people can get in touch with you or find you or see what you're up to? Sure. So I have a website
1: called therapy, notes, uh, dot com, And uh, what I have been doing is reviewing uh, books. Uh, they can be fiction, nonfiction, and reviewing them from the through the lens of a psychotherapist. And so I've been doing some lectures around Alexandria, Virginia, and um been going to book shows and recommending books and kind of three points you can take away from these novels or um, they're not all self-help books they're all just books um, and what we can learn from them so um so yeah so you can find me on there com and and see what you think and i'd love to hear hear what people's thoughts are on that too
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. I am really excited to go check that out because I'm a book, book nerd myself. So I'm sure the people that are listening hear that it's, um, yeah, really fascinating approach to books and, and a different way to look at it. So I love that. Well, thank you so much again. And, um, we will talk soon. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode if you took some value from today, be sure to share it with me by leaving a review so that I can keep the good stuff coming your way. If you aren't already following me on social media, come soak up the inspiration on Instagram by following along at wellwolf or visiting the website at wellwolf.com. I can't wait to connect with you on the next episode. In the meantime, be well, be wild.